Chapter 12, Part 1, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. So what do you think of when you think of the word worship? Do you think of Catrice and Rich and Han and Nicole and the worship team up on stage? Do you think of maybe the youth retreats you went on when you were a child, or maybe um, a few weeks ago, the women's retreat that took place where there's, there's shouting and there's laughter and there's dancing and arms are lifted and there's tears? Do you think of maybe silent retreats and, and contemplation? Maybe you, you think of the majesty and the pageantry of the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church with all the robes and the, the incense. Maybe if you're, if you're like me, you might think of gospel choirs and praise dancers. What do you think of when you think of worship? I hope when you think of all these things, you think of so much more. I hope when you think of worship, you don't think about what other people do, but you think about what you do. And you don't think about just, you know, sort of what you do, but you also think about who you're worshiping that you think about Jesus, that you think about inviting the Holy Spirit into the, the worship so that you might worship Jesus well. I hope that when you think of worship, you are challenged to be imaginative, to think of all the different ways that you might be able to celebrate Jesus. That is my hope, and that is what I believe that our dear sister Mary in the Bible shows us today, how to worship Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus lived, excuse me, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now, some version of this story is found in all four of the Gospels. They tell the story of a woman who interrupts a dinner to anoint Jesus, and, he, and Jesus is the honored guest. And someone objects, Jesus defends the woman. And the details, however, are different in each one of the stories. In this story, um, this is Mary. In Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, there is an unnamed woman. But there's this, this is Mary. This is the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And remember, Lazarus is the person that Jesus raised from the dead. And this is taking place in Mary's home. 
Now, for some reason, and I just still cannot figure out why, this story always seems to resonate with me. And I am able to sort of imagine where everyone is seated and what's happening and what's taking place. And so I hope to invite you to that same scene this morning. Picture it, Jesus in the time of Bethany. Or Bethany in the time of Jesus, rather. Bethany in the time of Jesus. We're inside someone's home. It's the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is the one that Jesus raised from the dead, and they are giving a dinner in honor of Jesus. And at this dinner, it's not just them, but it's also the 12 disciples. And even though there's so many people, these are close friends. And they're sitting here, and they're celebrating all that Jesus has done for Lazarus. And there's laughter, and there's all this excitement. And while Martha is serving... And Lazarus is enjoying this new life that he now has after death. Mary shirks dinner convention to worship Jesus. She comes to honor her Savior. She comes to love on Jesus. She comes to worship her Lord. And in this scene, she shows us how to worship Jesus. Mary shows us what worship looks like, how worship can look in different ways, but it all centers around the same thing. Worship is the appropriate human response to the magnificent glory of God. It is the human response. It's all that we can give. It is our appropriate human response to seeing the magnificent glory of God. It is how we respond to God's work in our lives and all around us. It's our response to what God has done in history. Mary is worshiping because Jesus raised her brother from the dead. And we worship because what God has done in our lives, and it's not just for us individually, it's all throughout history. Our worship is not just for us. It is for what God has done throughout history on our behalf. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. We worship because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because if it had not been for Jesus, we would all still be dead in our sins. If it had not been for Jesus, we would not be forgiven. If it had not been for Jesus, we would not have eternal life. And so we worship Jesus because he's our savior. We worship him because he is our Lord. We worship him because he is our King. We worship him because he is the reason that we get to be reconciled to God. And we worship him for what he has done in our lives. We worship him because we have seen people healed. We worship him because we have seen relationships mended. We worship him because we have been saved and we've seen our loved ones saved. We worship him because he has provided for us and he's protected us and he has cared for us. We worship him because we are not the same people that we used to be. And so when we worship, it is a demonstration of our love and our gratitude to Jesus. It's what we are created to do. 
And when we look at Mary, she shows us just one way of what it looks like to, marry, to, to worship Jesus. In her, we see this incredible demonstration of gratitude and love. Mary's worship is extravagant. One scholar called it reckless extravagance. Reckless extravagance. And I, I love this term, but I have to tell you, when I first heard this term, it kind of wrecked me a little bit because I had to ask myself, when was the last time that I offered Jesus worship that was reckless extravagantly? That was so extravagant that it was reckless. The Bible says that Mary poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, imagine this, right? Jesus is reclining for dinner. It's not the way we eat now, right? They would have been reclining. His legs would have been outstretched. And so Mary had to get down on her knees in front of all these people. And then she takes this perfume and she doesn't just throw it on his feet, but she massages it in. And we have no idea how long it took, but it was long enough for Judas to complain about it, right? So, she's, so she's, she's at his feet, she's, she's on her knees, she's massaging his feet. And then when she's done, she unwraps her hair, she uncovers her hair, she takes down her bun or her ponytail or whatever it is, and she, she gets down low enough that she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. You, you understand, this is not respectable, what she's doing. No good, respectable Jewish woman is going to uncover her hair in front of men who are not her husband or a close relative. They're not going to let their long hair hang low in front of men who are not their close relative or their husband. They're not going to touch just any man. They're certainly not going to touch a rabbi. So what Jesus is doing here is offensive. It is undignified. And yet she does it for Jesus. And Paul, Paul says that a woman's long hair is her glory. So when Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, she is matching the only glory that she possesses with the glory of Jesus before her. When we look at Mary, we see this woman who recognizes that Jesus is her master and that she is his servant. You know, Mary, Mary was the mistress of the house. She was the, the, you know, the woman of the house. She had servants who could wipe Jesus' feet. It was customary to have slaves or servants come in and to, and to wipe their feet. Mary didn't have to do this, but she gets on her knees to demonstrate that this is her master that this is her Lord and she is his servant. Now I know we got great jobs and people ask us for a whole bunch of stuff. They look up to us. We've got titles, right? We oversee things in our home. We oversee things on our job. But before the Lord, we are mere servants. We are servants before our master. And so our worship is not so that we can get something from God. It is to give something to God. And she is unapologetic about it. Her sister Mary is serving food. 
And Lazarus, Lazarus is chilling next to Jesus, right? He's glad he's alive, right? Other people are eating. Judas is complaining, but she is worshiping. She is singularly focused on Jesus. She has an audience of one and a heart for only one. How often do we get caught up in what other people are doing so much so that we can't worship Jesus? How often are we so, um, so concerned about how other people will hear our voice? We're so concerned about what other people will think if we raise our hands. We're so concerned about what will happen if we come forward to the altar. We minimize our worship to accommodate other people. But we are to worship God. And Mary says, I don't care what they think about me because I am here to worship Jesus. She uses this opportunity to demonstrate how much she loves Jesus. Her worship is reckless and her worship is extravagant. It is abundant. She gave her best to Jesus. You see, nard was this expensive oil or perfume. It comes from uh, the uh, uh, plant in the Himalayan mountains of India. And so it's imported from India to this region. You can't find it locally. It's rare. It, it's pure. It hasn't been watered down by some other things. It, it, is, it is precious and it's rare. And Mary, Mary owns a pint of it, right? When I think of a pint, I think of like a pint of Talensi ice cream, which is like very expensive. Right? <laughs> Right? She owns a pint of this expensive perfume that's worth 300 denarii, which is the equivalent of one year's wages. Now, the average salary in America is about $60,000. So imagine $60,000 worth of perfume in a pint that she pours on Jesus' feet. That's how much she thinks about Jesus. We can't quantify. We can't quantify what Jesus means to us. But Mary takes the best that she had, the most that she has, and she pours it out on Jesus. This is her willingness to give her best, to sacrifice her best to Jesus. It is an extravagant display of love and gratitude. She knew that Jesus was worth every drop. And so she lavishes it on him. She extravagantly worships the Lord. And you see, and see Mary's, Mary's worship and her, and her extravagance in worship isn't just relegated to the things that she has. She gives all of herself before the Lord. Worsh Mary worships the Lord with her whole self. She withholds nothing, including her very body. Mary embodies worship. She embodies worship. I think sometimes that we think worship is like cerebral. It's all in our heads. It's what we think. It's what we say. Maybe it's what we sing. But Mary shows us that worship is so much more than that, that true worship is an embodied experience. Mary worships Jesus with her body. She bows down on her knees. She takes her hands and she massages this oil into, her, into his feet. She wipes it with her hair. 
everything that she has, all that she has, she gives to Jesus in worship. It is an embodied experience. Now, there's this, there's this religious doctrine called Gnosticism. You don't have to remember it because it's a heresy, right? But go with me. I'm going somewhere, right? So there's this, this religious doctrine called Gnosticism, right? And without getting into too much detail, Gnostics make this distinction between the spirit and the body. They emphasize like spiritual knowledge, so much so that they consider the material world, our flesh and the world around us, to be corrupt and so corrupt that it's irredeemable. So for some Gnostics, Jesus was not God in the flesh because God would not dare to come in the flesh and inhabit this sort of corrupt body. That they think that Jesus was divine, but he never had a human body. Now, this is heresy because we know that Jesus is the incarnate word of God, right? We know that he came in a human form. He lived as a human, but he is divine. And his body did die, but it was resurrected. In Jesus, we know that there is no separation between our spirit and our body. But for many of us, we live like Gnostics. We think about Jesus. We talk about Jesus, we worship Jesus, but only with our minds. We don't worship him with our bodies. Do we allow worship to invade every part of ourselves, including our bodies? The Lord tells us to love him with our spirit, our soul, our mind, and our bodies. Paul tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because that is true and proper worship. So when was the last time that you worshiped the Lord with your body? That you let your entire self be enveloped in worship? See, Mary challenges us to see worship as more than just what we do with our minds or even what we do on a Sunday morning. She challenges us to give our whole selves to Jesus in worship. And maybe it's in sign language that we see Mimi doing sometimes, and maybe it's dancing like Una does, and maybe it's art and drawing and painting. Maybe it's out in nature walking. But what Mary shows us is that we cannot constrain our worship to what happens on Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Our worship of the Lord is meant to be embodied and unrestricted. It's meant to be lavish because our devotion is to the Lord. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, but especially in the Psalms, we are told to worship God, to praise God. It's what God expects of us. It's not optional. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That means that no matter what we are going through, that we should still worship the Lord. And it means that whether we feel like it or not, we should still worship the Lord. Because worship is not about us. It is about God. And God never changes. God is always worthy of our worship. David says, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Ask them a simple question. Are you breathing? I mean, like for real, are you breathing? 
don't need to tell you what else you need to do, right? Because if you can't think of anything else that you can praise God for, you can praise God that on today, this day that you have breath in your body. Mary understands the posture of worship because this is a posture that she is familiar with. Mary is used to sitting at the Lord's feet. You see, every time we see Mary in the Bible, she is at the feet of Jesus. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Right, so Mary and Martha are having another dinner with Jesus and Martha's complaining because Martha's like, Jesus, I'm doing all this work and Mary's just sitting here looking at you, <laughs> right? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, Martha, you've got it all wrong. She has chosen the better way. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And just in the last chapter of John, Jesus finally arrives in Bethany after Lazarus has died. And Mary gets word of it. So Mary runs to Jesus. And what is the first thing that she does? She falls at his feet. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother hadn't, would not have died. Anytime Mary has the opportunity, Mary is at Jesus' feet. And so maybe the reason that sometimes worship is hard for us and, and maybe sometimes the reason why we're, 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 we're stunted in our worship is because we haven't spent enough time at Jesus' feet. Mary's worship is born out of devotion with Jesus. It's born out of relationship with Jesus. I can't, I can't love someone I don't know, right? Mary's able to worship because she knows Jesus. And it's not just because of what Jesus did for her brother, but she has a relationship with him. She has spent time at his feet, and maybe we haven't spent enough time at Jesus' feet. Maybe we haven't spent enough time listening to him and learning from him and ingesting his word and, and getting to know him and building a relationship with him. And maybe we haven't spent enough time asking him our questions and coming to him with our frustrations and saying, Jesus, if you had been here, my life would look differently. And maybe if we would have sat there a little bit longer, we would have seen the glory of God. So when worship demands a human response to the magnificent glory of God, sometimes we're unable to produce it because we haven't done the work at Jesus' feet. Pastor Doug told us last week to how to experience the glory of God in our lives, and I want to challenge us to remember the glory of God in our lives. Take the time to sit at the master's feet as a student and take the opportunity to bow down at the master's feet as a worshiper. Worship is what we give back to God. It is our work that we render to God. It is our offering of thanksgiving and praise. It is our response, the only response that we can possibly give to a God who has been so good is to worship him. 
And Mary shows us that this worship is powerful, that it has power beyond what we can see. So how does our worship have power? First, when we worship Jesus, we change the atmosphere. We change the atmosphere. You see, Jesus is at this dinner and he's at somebody's house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they share a house. He's there at, at, at this dinner. But Mary makes her home a place of worship. Mary makes her home a place of worship to the Lord. I love this because it reminds us that worship is not just confined to Sunday morning. Every Sunday, we make this space a space of worship. But it's not just here on Sunday mornings. Everywhere where the people of God go is a place of worship. We make it a place of worship. Worship is the work of the people wherever we go. Verse 3 says, Then Mary took a pint of nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary was there, and Jesus was there, and so Mary made it a place of worship. How can we make our homes, our cars, the place where we walk, the supermarket, how can we make it a place of worship? Have you ever considered that? Do you play worship music at home? Have you ever closed your bedroom door and danced before the Lord? And this is not just women, men do this too. See King David, right? Do you ever sing at the top of your lungs in your car? Do you maybe sit during your break or at your desk and you, you think about the goodness of God? That's how you make any space a space of worship. I have sat in coffee shops and I have been listening to, to music and I find myself singing and I find myself crying and the next thing I know, all kinds of Starbucks all up and down Bergen County have become spaces of worship. Right? Because it's not the place that we're at, it's we're in the place. And we make it a place of worship. And Mary wasn't singing songs. She used what she had and she made it powerful. Scent is powerful because it captures memory in ways that other things may not. You know, people wear perfume and cologne because they want you to remember them when they leave. So, um, oftentimes when a person dies, you might hold on to, to some of their clothing because you just want to smell them again. We, we buy candles and diffusers and like all this stuff because we want our homes to smell a certain way, right? We want it to, to smell like joy, to smell like peace when we walk in the door. We know how to create an atmosphere. Mary used fragrance to create an atmosphere of worship for Jesus. The Bible says that the entire house was filled with the fragrance. Now, if you go back and you read your Bible, the last time that we saw the gospel writer John mention the scent or the odor of anything, it was in the chapter right before this, chapter 11, and it's the smell of death. Jesus comes to them and, and he tells them to remove the, the, the stone in front of the tomb, right? And Martha, Martha says, Jesus, he stinks. He's been in there four days. He smells. Right? That's the last time that, that John talks about scent in the Bible. But here comes Mary 
right after that. And she comes with a different fragrance. Where there was once the smell of death, now there is the smell of life. Right? Where once there was the smell of grief, now we have the smell of worship. Pastor Doug, last week, he told us to to name those things that need to be called out of the grave, those things that need to be resurrected. And I'm going to challenge you not just to call them out, but to, to cover them in worship so that you don't remember the smell of death, you remember the smell of life. That is what our worship does. It changes the atmosphere. Second, when we worship, we prioritize Jesus. We prioritize Jesus. Look at verses four through eight. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary worships, Judas objects. Everyone will not be pleased with your worship. Your worship may change the atmosphere of a location, but it will not always, not always change the heart of the people in the room. Some people might question your motives when you worship. Why is she so loud? Why is he doing all that singing? Why are they crying? Why are they dancing? Why is it taking so long? There will always be objectors. And we might want to stop and ask ourselves, what is it about us that makes us criticize other people's worship? For Judas, it was his greed. Judas asked if the money shouldn't have been used for the poor, but we all know that Judas didn't actually care about the poor. Judas was a thief, and he was skimming money off the top. So this was $60,000 that he, you know, he thought it was going to be a payday, right? That's why Judas complained. But Jesus defends Mary. Jesus says, leave her alone. Jesus understands the importance of what Mary is doing. Jesus says that you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, sometimes people question this because they're like, Jesus, you don't care about the poor? Yes, Jesus cares about the poor. Of course he does, which is why they had this money bag, because they used to give to the poor regularly. But Jesus says, right now, I am of greater importance. Right now, I am what matters most. Because what they don't know, but what he knows is that he's going to be leaving soon. Jesus is the priority in this moment. Our worship prioritizes Jesus. Now for us, it may not be greed that stands in our way. But many of us may have to admit that we have robbed God of the worship that he deserves. It may be all the things that we think are more important, even good things, but things that we think are more important. We have to prioritize our worship of Jesus. You know, we're, we're so distracted and there's so much coming at us that we have a hard time even focusing for the time that we're here in worship together on a Sunday morning. There's all these other things happening in the world. 
and we feel like we can't let go of it for just, for just two hours, not even two hours. I know it's a struggle because there are times when I'm out in the hallway and I'm talking to people and I'm kind of lingering before I make my way into here. But this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. We fill our days with everything but worship. We make our agendas more important than worship. But you know, the psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That is an invitation to communal worship. That is an invitation for us to come together and worship God together. Every Sunday morning, we send out an invitation to you. Join us in worship. And it's not for Metro, it's for God. And so when we offer you this invitation, we are telling you, let the world take care of itself. Right now, Jesus is the priority. Jesus is the priority. In fact, Jesus will take care of what's going on out there. We focus here on Jesus. We should never miss an opportunity to give God what he deserves. He is worthy of our worship. And worship reminds us to make Jesus front and center in our lives. When we worship Jesus, we give him priority over everything else. We take advantage of the opportunity to give all of ourselves to Jesus. And whether Mary knew it or not, this was her last opportunity. And so she had to worship Jesus in this moment. Anytime that Mary had an opportunity, she was going to worship Jesus. And so my brothers and my sisters, anytime that we have an opportunity, we ought to worship Jesus. We prioritize Jesus when we worship him. And finally, our worship honors Jesus for who he is. Our worship changes the atmosphere. It prioritizes Jesus and it honors Jesus for who he is. Look at verses nine through 11. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now the chief priests, their response to what Jesus had done was to kill them both. Kill them both. Because Lazarus was a walking symbol of the power of Jesus. So he had to go. And Jesus had to go because he was walking around demonstrating his power. He was proving that he was the son of God. They sought to kill the miracle and the miracle worker. But for those of us who love Jesus, when we see the glory of God, when we see the power of God and what God can do, our response is worship. Not to kill the glorious one, but to worship him. Not to kill the object of the miracle, but to worship the miracle worker. And that's what Mary does. She doesn't allow the chief priests and, his, and their threats to stop her from worshiping Jesus. And she doesn't allow her own agenda, her own priorities, like Judas does, to stop her from worshiping Jesus. Mary honors Jesus. She honors Jesus for who he is. 
She may not have understood all of what her worship meant, but in doing it, it had significance because Jesus said so. Jesus said in verses seven and eight, leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. See, nard wasn't just this beautifully expensive oil. It was used to anoint people of honor. So when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with pure nard, she is honoring Jesus. She is worshiping Jesus and giving him the honor and the praise that is due the risen Savior. And her worship elevates him as a man of honor. We, we honor dignitaries. We, we honor political figures. We honor like movie stars and basketball players. But Mary honors Jesus. She is the first to honor him as king before anyone else. And whether she realizes it or not, Mary, in this spontaneous act, she represents an anointing of Jesus' body before he is buried. See, see, her worship is prophetic. Her worship is prophetic because she anticipates what will take place without even knowing that it's going to happen. You see, anointing is a part of the ritual process of burial. And this scene takes place one week before Jesus will die. But Mary doesn't know any of that. Mary doesn't know Jesus is going to die. And so when she worships Jesus, there is a prophetic aspect to it that she doesn't even know about. That she is anticipating his death. She's anticipating that his body will need to be anointed for burial. Jesus' physical time would be coming to an end. But Mary in her spirit, in her worship, she prepares Jesus' body. Mary foreshadows Jesus' death. And she's also honoring Jesus as the Messiah. Because the word Messiah means anointed one. She is telling the world that this is the promised Messiah. He is the one that we have been waiting for. This woman anoints Jesus as Messiah, and her worship had purpose and meaning beyond even what she could comprehend. We never know the true meaning or the depth, the incredible depth, or the outcome of our worship because our worship takes on spiritual dimensions that only God knows. Mary's worship will go with Jesus this last week of his earthly life. And it will go with him as he enters Jerusalem. And it will go with him as he takes the form of a servant and washes the disciples' feet. Even the two disciples who will betray him and deny him. It will go with him as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and prays, where he prays for the disciples and he prays for us. And her worship will go with him when he's arrested and falsely accused and ultimately crucified. And Mary's worship will go with him to the grave. And Mary's worship, the anointing that she has placed on Jesus, will be with him when he raises three days later. Mary didn't know all that she was doing. She didn't know what it meant that she was anointing Jesus' feet. She just took, she just took advantage of the opportunity before her to worship Jesus. 
She understood that she needed to worship Jesus. She understood that this wasn't an ordinary man that she was kneeling before. This wasn't an ordinary man that she was giving her best to and humbling herself before and honoring. We don't worship an ordinary man. Jesus is not an ordinary man. We worship the Messiah. We worship the King of Kings. And we worship the Lord of Lords. And we worship the Prince of Peace. We worship the Savior. We worship the healer, we worship the redeemer and the sustainer and the reconciler and the one who forgives us of all of our sins. We worship the one who loved us enough to die for us and loves us enough to come back for us and the one who walks with us every single day of the week. And so the least that we could do, the least that we could do is offer him the worship that is due him. The least that we can do, because it's actually all that we can do. It's all that we can do. We cannot repay God. We can't repay God. On our best days, God is better than us. And on our worst days, he offers us his abundant grace. That is why we worship him. That is what he invites us to do, to worship him. And so the question before us is, will we worship? Will we worship? We're going to do something differently today. We are going to, I'm going to give you the opportunity to just close your eyes. And I want you to just let the Lord speak to you. I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to just let God speak to you in any way that he can, whatever posture you need to take for the Lord to speak to you. I'm going to give you a minute to do so. God, I thank you that you always speak. That you always have a word for us, God. And so, God, I pray that you have not only spoken in this moment, 
but you will continue to speak to us, God. And that our ears will continue to be attentive to you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.